Chat and Chill with Super Hill. Alright, hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of Chat and Chill with Super Hill. Um, today I have two special guests with me. I have never actually sat down with these two, even though I talk to them all the time. So I am really looking forward to today's episode. So I'm going to let them introduce themselves. This is a different kind of guest situation. So I'll start here on my left and we can move over. Hello, everyone. I am Michelle Williams, and I am the Elementary Curriculum Director for Windsor Public Schools. And hello, I am Bonnie Feynman, the Secondary Curriculum Director for Windsor Public Schools. Welcome, ladies. So we're talking about curriculum today, but I want you, as usual, to know that curriculum is more than just, oh, here's something you need to learn for another time. Mm -hmm. um, and in honor of Black History Month, we want to dig into curriculum from a different angle and a different perspective. So we're going to jump right into curriculum integration, ladies. Can you share how Windsor Public Schools incorporates black history and contributions into the curriculum throughout the year rather than just during Black History Month? You know, we get a lot of commentary, right? We get the shortest month out of the year. I kind of hate when people actually say that because they really don't even understand the history. Right. And I'm talking about that most often comes from black folks. Yeah. Um, so I always tell them, you should do a little reading, learn. Um, we actually started with a week. I'm only going to mm -hmm. get the public that much because I want you to do your own learning. We started with a week. So, and how do these efforts contribute to fostering a more inclusive and equitable learning environment for all students? I'll, I'll so how do you integrate? Michelle's giving me the number. And how to impact, <laughs> okay. So I agree with you that curriculum isn't just this minor thing, it's not just a word that we throw around. Like to me, it's a system. So I do feel like we've created a system here in some places, in some pockets, where we are celebrating people of color, um, black folks, like every single day. One, one place that I would go to immediately is our English curriculum at the high school. We made a really strong, purposeful, strategic effort to do that. Um, and how we did that was really through the voice of our students. And um, we actually were able to form, I didn't do it, but uh, my colleagues did, a committee of students who began by changing what books would be in that curriculum and selecting books that were by authors of color, um, about people of color, and having these be books that are part of this system, that are books that are available every day out of the year. Um, and from there, we actually reconstructed the entire curriculum um, from the units that, that we teach, the titles of them, and building, hopefully, for students off of those books and writing assignments, um, lots of opportunities for them to, to think about their own identity and their own history um, and affirming that. So, so not just giving a nod to, like, as we talked about, we talk about in this field, um, you know, holidays and heroes, like, let's just celebrate mm -hmm. black holidays, black heroes. No, we, what, we, what we're talking about is affirming recognizing and centering, centering that curriculum around black voices when, when, uh, when we can, which is as much as possible. Um, and doing that, I think it was pretty neat to be able to do it through the voices of our students. Um, so that's one example of one, one curriculum um, that we've created that really jumps out to me as being a celebratory in that way. So I, I would agree with Bonnie. I know a f some years ago when, when Bonnie was in that humanities position, director position, he, at the elementary level, we actually had our students um, meet with a book um, firm and talk about integrating our, cur our curriculum with more diversified books. Um, so 
that has been a focus of the humanities curriculum at the elementary level is really representation matters, right? So mm -hmm. I can talk about when I was in school, I didn't have books that looked like me. Um, I'm African American for those of you who don't know. Um, so just because in case y'all couldn't see that. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> Anyways, so I didn't have books that looked like me. I didn't have too many dolls that looked like me. So representation matters for our students of color as well as our students that are not. Um, African-American, so they need to see themselves in a positive light that brings up their confidence. Um, they just need to see themselves and be comfortable with reading about themselves in all different aspects. So I think that's really how we focus on it at the elementary level. We still have some work to do, um, but definitely as far as making sure that we have diversified books. And so I'll, I'll, the other thing I'll talk about is with the Right to Read grant, we're looking at new um, programs. And so the humanities coaches are like, when we're looking at new programs, they're looking at the books and they're like, mm, not diversified enough. We need more books that uh, we have Native Americans, we have all nationalities in our district. So we are really focused on representation of all of our students. Um, so I believe that's important as well. So Michelle's said the word about five times, representation. So mm -hmm. that's where I want to go next. So let's uh, flesh that out some more. Why is representation in the curriculum vital or important? And what does it mean to students? And I'm talking about like their identity, um, self, even how um, self-worth, right? So what does it mean? Because you said you didn't have dolls that look like you. You didn't have books that look like you. Um, what does it mean? So, okay, now you got a doll that look like you. Now you got a book that looks like you. So what, what's the impact on our students? Why is all that important? So my belief on that is that it allows students to dream for beyond, right? It allows them to say, I can do that one day. So I'll, I'm gonna use myself as an example, as having been uh, an African-American principal in this district. A little, one of my uh, former staff members brought her child in and I was just talking to them and she was looking at me in awe, like she had no like awe. And I was like, well, why are you looking at me like that? She was like, because I've never seen a black principal before, right? And so I was like, oh, I was like, well, guess what? One day when you grow up, you can be a black principal as well, right? It's a little black girl. So I think so, again, representation. So it it shows them that they can be something else, right? You might be the first, my, my daughter's doing a book report on Michelle Obama right now. So you could be the first lady of the White House as a black woman or as a Hispanic woman or as... Native American. Native American, right? You can you can sit in that um in that spot. So I think that it allows our students to see themselves in a different way, in a different light. Yeah, and I appreciate you talking about how representation is important to you as a person of color and for me as a white person with white children in our school system, I honestly can't think of anything more important than making sure that they understand the people in their own community and the people in the world. I mean, representation, from my perspective as, as a white parent, um, is about reality and is about community and is about, this is, in a sense, like America, right? And um, I want my kids to know what the true history of America is, and I want my kids to know who the people are in America that um, have contributed over time. And I think, you know, one thing that... Um, is super important is my kids and other white students understanding like from in my opinion there is no america without black americans because when we think about the history of the country everything that we have historically back to the 1600s 
came from black Americans. And I want my kids to know that. Um, so I think it's important for our white students. And obviously, as Michelle said, um, very important for students of color to see themselves, mm -hmm. see their futures of aspirations, high expectations, and see all of the amazing innovations and things that have come from um, our, our black people in the United States. Um, and I've had students that have said the same thing to me, but in a different way, like, why is it that all of my teachers are white or throughout my career, most of my teachers have been white or why is every book that I'm reading um, about like my kids when I was in a different district used to call them dead white guy books. Why is every book I'm reading from a dead white guy? That's not the books that are out there. That doesn't represent people. Um, so in my mind, it's just that doesn't wouldn't make any sense otherwise. That's interesting, right? So <clears throat> I'll give you a little story, personal story. So I actually went through that in um, grad school. So, and I sh I've shared this a few times in different places um, because you would think in graduate school, right? It's, you should be able to, to read and study everything. But I literally was the, the graduate student that said, okay, how come we at, you know, UMass, you know, I always shout out my school, good and bad, but I love my school. We're at UMass, supposed to be one of the bastions of diversity and equity, right? Why am I only reading about white dudes and what white dudes say? How, how is that okay and no one's saying anything? And I remember um, being told, well, you have to get, you know, some faculty. You know, well, first, this was a stunning statement made to me, and I will not name the person. But the statement was made, um, well, you need to find, you know, scholarly works by, you know, authors of color. Not right, you know, Michelle over here whispering, but they probably heard it, right? Told the wrong person that. Exactly. Exactly. If you know me, uh oh, and by the way, I'm 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 African American too. In case in case y'all ain't really figured that one out in the last two years, right? Just 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 wanted to clear that up for everyone. All right, good. Um, but I you know, I was told, yeah, you gotta find scholarly works by folks of color. And I literally looked at the person like, Are you serious? I am at UMass. Amherst, I'm in the state of Massachusetts, I could just hop, skip over to Harvard, and like, y'all be quoting my man, right? Mm -hmm. Cornell West is over there, right? I could, I could go down to Jersey, at the time it was Jersey, you know, get my man, you know, Michael Eric Dyson, mm -hmm. and I'm like, skip, oh, back at Harvard, skip Gates? I'm like, mm -hmm. like, are you for real? But they were serious. So, Outside of the heavy reading you do in graduate school, I did, you know, stayed up on my own work. I had to go read these books. Yeah. And then I remember having to present, I'll say findings, that's the nicest way I can put it, to some faculty members. So I went to the faculty house. So old building on campus where they had their lunch. It's, you know, really rustic New England looking, right? Kind of low ceiling and all that. Um, but it just, you know, and, and eventually books were added. And I didn't think much of it because I didn't get to read those books. It didn't impact my program, right? Because it was a two-year program, that one, that portion rather, <clears throat> and I had to move on. But it hit me the next fall when, you know, I was working on campus as a full-time graduate student, and I had someone come to my office, and they said, are you Terrell Hill? And I said, yeah. And, you know, it was a white female. And she said, I just want to thank you. And I said, for what? But part of my assistantship was helping students get jobs, but I knew I hadn't worked with this young lady. And she says, um, you know, we were just told that we're going to get to read, you know, 
some books by Michael Eric Dyson. Like, I love him. And I'm so excited. You know, I, I didn't know we were going to get to read, you know, Michael Eric Dyson. And I was told by a professor, well, you could thank, you know, a former graduate student in this program, uh, Terrell Hill. He still works on campus. He's the reason why we have these readings, right? And so you don't always get to benefit from the thing that you speak up for or fight for, but other people will benefit. So I live my life always fighting for opportunities. It's nice if I can get them, but usually it's for someone behind me. And I'm, you know, very rarely do I actually get the benefit from the thing that I'm fighting for. So when we talk about even the representation um, in the curriculum, because I did read, it wasn't because of stuff in my school either. Like a lot of my reading was done on my own throughout my life um, or something my mom would recommend or someone would recommend. So yes, I think I've learned to be, I always give my mom credit first, that's my shiro, but I've learned to be um, this fighter, this, uh, I don't like all the fancy terms like civil rights activist, all that stuff people like to say. Mm-hmm. I'll just say fighter, right? A person who fights for change and difference because I read about people who fought for change and difference. Because there wasn't a lot of movies and stuff, you know, when I was growing up. The biggest thing that came out in the 70s when I was in school and I was already in upper elementary was Roots. Mm-hmm. But my mom made my brother and I sit down as we would go through the episodes. We literally have to sit down with her after the episode and actually discuss that episode. What we saw, what we learned, what we thought. Um, and it's funny because she was in college at the time. She was reading the book for her course. So, you know, now I know she uses this as a focus group, right? <laughs> but <laughs> but she, she got, you know, it's interesting. So when you learn what folks have done that look like you throughout history, then you understand that you're meant to be more. Because up until that point, I really had thought that um, we were simply slaves, right? And I, again, I've shared this in another episode, getting in trouble in elementary school for asking the teacher, what were we doing the day before they put us on the slave ship? And the teacher thought it was like fourth grade and they thought I was being a smart mouth, sent me to the principal. But I was serious because every time you open a book, all you saw was a bunch of black people chained to each other, boarding a ship mm-hmm. or coming off the ship and being mm-hmm. sold, you know, somewhere in America. And I'm like, but if you took us from somewhere, we weren't just waiting on the shoreline like the cruise ship is coming. Right. We were doing something. And when people understand that people who look like me have done incredible things. Mm-hmm. Then it gives you a, a, you know, you talk about identity. It also gives you a sense of pride, right. and also to help believe it helps with academic performance, right? Because mm-hmm. when I went through school, not only did my mother say, "You better pass, or I'm gonna kill you," right? <laughs> I, I knew I wanted to do well in school academically. I knew I wanted to earn a PhD because I had read about black men and women who had done well academically and earned PhDs. And once I understood the PhD was the highest level degree on the planet, I was like, I want that. Mm-hmm. Because I knew it was an accomplishment that very few people of any race actually attain. So I wanted that. And it came from me, you know, finding that representation in books. It wasn't necessarily taught in the schools. Right. Right. But it was in the books. And I'm like, oh, I can do this. So when we think about, you know, this, and I know there are some people who fight against this, like it shouldn't matter. But it's usually people fighting against it who say it shouldn't matter when they're in the majority and they're represented all the time. Mm-hmm. You well, know, and out of fear. And, you know, and well, some sort of strange fear, right? And But um, fear of what? Since you right. brought it up, I was going to try to be a little PG today, but, you know, Miss um, <laughs> Feynman want to take it. She want to take it to another <laughs> level, right? Now we're going PG-13 right now. We could go further. But what fear? 
Say more. Okay. Um, there's a fear, and this is coming from research that I've been doing mm -hmm. um, outside of our, our work here in the district. There, There is a fear. She's working on her doctorate, too. I'm so <laughs> proud of her. And it's documented. I'm not just pulling this out of thin air. That people that, especially white people who are trying to uphold what has been institutionalized and central in curriculum, which has been white history, white authors, um, and learning from a white perspective, are afraid in some way, and it's really the biggest hypocrisy, that by focusing on other groups of people and affirming other groups of people that there'll be some sort of erasure. And, um, and I say it's the biggest hypocrisy because, first of all, Times haven't changed that much. There still is institutionalized white, white, whiteness across the educational system in the United States and in other countries. But also, it's, it's hypocritical in the sense that actually the people that have been erased throughout history are not white people. <laughs> and so, um, and I'm not laughing out of it really being ha-ha funny. I'm laughing because it's ridiculous that, right? to even yeah. think that, right? And what you're talking about, just to comment on it, what you've described in your own story is exactly what curriculum should do and exactly what I think we're aiming to do here, which is number one, and Michael Apple, who's a great researcher out of, uh, I, think, I think NYU, I could be wrong. What he says is there's two steps, right? It's like the first step with, with responsive curriculum is acknowledging, just acknowledgement. So acknowledging people of color, acknowledging people in the LGBT community, acknowledging indigenous people actually having the books, having the instruction around different groups of people that have been historically marginalized, right? So acknowledgement, because the ne next step is exactly what you talked about, and that's transformation. So doing, so actions to, mm -hmm. to change our institutions and to change things for the good of people, that doesn't come unless we're acknowledging it. And we need to, and I, I do feel, as Dr. Haiti says, overly passionate about this at times, we have a we have a responsibility as a school district. I feel a personal responsibility to make sure we are acknowledging all people that need to be, because we can't. Our students are not going to be able to do anything that is good for society without having that full broad perspective. It just it it really can't happen. So I, that that really is the purpose in some ways of of curriculum and where I would hope that we're going as a district in in terms of curriculum. Because they you know what they'll think is. You know, first thing comes to mind for me, and we'll move on to this, is math, right? Mm. Girls don't do math. That's mm. You didn't necessarily hear that overtly all the time in school, at least years ago, but you heard it. And then if you didn't hear it, then covertly people expressed it. And so, you know, you could see where girls would shy away from those classes. And it's not like they couldn't do it. Right. We know that for a fact. And I'll ask Michelle to expound on that in a second. Um, but that's what you're taught. And if you don't see yourself in something mm -hmm. and people don't share what people that look like you, whether it's race or gender. Right. Or um, your sexual orientation. If you don't see someone like you doing it, then you just can't see yourself doing it. And I mean, and yes. Are there people who are outliers? Absolutely. But. It's more of the mainstream vibe that gets you to go, hey, I, I could do that too, right? And so I, I want, um, Michelle, expound on what I mean by like 
girls don't do math. Um, where, where have we seen examples where girls definitely do math and do it well? Well, it's ironic that you brought this up because I was talking to um, a black STEM coach earlier, and I talked about you know where is black history in our math and science, and so we don't have it explicitly in our in our math and science, but we need to bring up and bring out that we have the May Jemisons of the world. We have the Catherine Johnson. We don't even talk about. So, and those are things that I didn't grow up learning and didn't know about till a movie came out, right? So, so I want to just enunciate that a little better so people hear us. Well, May Jemison. Because <laughs> I want and, them to hear. Because we, we want right? to educate people. That's why I'm right? doing this. Yeah. And so, and we talk about, like, she wrote the alg- algorithms for NASA. We... I did not know that until I saw the movie, right? So that wasn't something that I learned Hidden about. Figures. Hidden figures. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Hidden figures. So we didn't we didn't know that, but we need to bring that out for our students, like as educators, right? So it might not be in math. We might not have it in our curriculum as of yet, because we talked about for this summer, how do we look at infusing the history mm. in math, right? Because we're actually working on interdisciplinary units. So we're talking about, so, and right then and there, both coaches sat there and the humanities coach said, I have these books, I have this, I have that, I have made. So she went out and pulled the May Jemison books out. And so that she's, that coach is going to now look at how she can infuse that in her school, right? So those are the things that we need to think about for our, for STEM and, and math, like learning about our black female women who have had a, a historical impact on on what we're learning and what we're doing. We don't we don't know enough. We don't do enough. But girls do math and girls do science. And girls, cra- and girls do all. Was was crazy to me. She about to go, I'm every woman. I can I can hear the song playing in my head now. You know, okay. So uh what's crazy to me is actually when I lived in um Hampton, Virginia and I was teaching you know, the Hampton Air and Space Museum was not even a mile from my house, right? And I'm sorry, I can say <laughs> I've eaten lunch there in the cafeteria just to sit by the water some days to distract myself, but I actually never went inside the museum. And it wasn't until years later, watching Hidden Figures with my daughters, that I realized that these amazing women were just up the block for me. And they were still working when I was mm. teaching mm. in Virginia. So I didn't even know our school system most certainly, and I was teaching math, most certainly did not talk about mm-hmm. them, right? Not in any way that has since happened after the movie came out. <clears throat> and, I, and I know the movie had an impact on my own, my youngest daughter, for sure. Um, I can't remember how many times she's watched it, won't even try. But, um, you know, I've watched her take, you know, some, some very high-level math classes, right? Mm-hmm. Even though she feel like, I can't do it. Mm-hmm. She, she, always, she keeps doing it. Um, but I love that because I don't see that fear that I believe was instilled in a lot of young ladies. Doesn't mean they didn't have the ability. The fear was instilled. So a lot of times those things, you know, you're taught, right? You're socialized to believe that you belong or you don't belong, right? That you're capable or you're not capable. Um, so another thing that I'm thinking of is the, the ideas behind um, – Empowering students. So, Bonnie, you had touched on it earlier, right? You guys empowered your students to select the books, mm-hmm. right? So we already covered that literature piece. So how else could we empower our students beyond just selecting books in the curriculum? I think we can empower students to be critical thinkers. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't think it's just about, you know, the 
reading, writing, arithmetic, the old way, the classic way that we might have thought about this sort of essential idea of schooling, right? We need thinkers. So we need students who can question, who can grapple with things, who can engage in conversations from a point of um, knowing, but also not be afraid to take risks and learn more. Right. And I think that the way you do that is make sure that they have access to all the information that's out there. So if we limit that and we limit it only to certain races of people or certain genders of people or just you know, limit it in terms of even accuracy, right? If we're, if, we're only, if we're providing inaccurate information to students, we are then limiting their potential to be critical thinkers um, because it's okay not to agree. It's okay. That's, I mean, we see that all the time, right? right. Out, in, in Boy, politics. do we see it. We see it here <laughs> right. in the office. Right. But just disagree just because I just want to disagree. You need to be able to, students need, need to be able to know how to navigate that. Right. And that's, I mean, that's education at its finest because they're going to learn how to have those conversations and to find out the information that maybe they're seeking. Um, so, and I think we can empower students to be good people. So like when I was talking about my own kids, right? It's like, I want my own kids to learn about every kind of person, every aspect of history so that they can make good decisions and so that they can be empathetic and so that they can have these other, like sometimes we call them soft skills, but I don't think they're soft skills. Right. I think they're life skills, vital skills, skills right? Mm-hmm. We want kids to be able to have understanding and empathy and all these things that are so important in society. Um, so I think the empowerment, like Michelle, obviously you've talked about empowerment from your own experience. Um, I'm thinking about it in uh, maybe a little bit of a different way and, um, and about how we can empower student skills and, and capacity and potential in them. Well, I, you know, I like what you said, though. Michelle, sorry, cut you over. I'll come right back to you. But I like the fact that you brought up um, the critical thinking piece. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm quite biased toward critical thinking. Um, as I was a critical thinking instructor for seven years at the college level, that's another course that I think should be mandatory in schools. And I think it should start right at, you know, pre-K, right? Like, understand. I think um, SEL skills get at it in a, you know, in a um, kind of base level way, but like, why do you? Why did you do that? Why do you feel that way? Um, but you know, moving up, uh, up the grades. If our students could think critically, then they would understand how best to get involved with issues in society, mm-hmm. because they're the ones who are going to carry on society, right? Like we're going through this time now that is, it's for all you know, all intents and purposes, a crazy time. A lot of things are happening. Um, I struggle when I talk to people, I'm talking about adults, and they really can't understand how to um, sift through the arguments and the rhetoric. They just kind of take it as it comes, put it in their pocket like like a whole statement. And you're just like, did you ever consider this? And did you ever consider that? I can take this, my questioning and that skill set, back to school because I did actually have teachers um, in the public school system who didn't allow you just to give an answer or say, well, that's dumb, right? You you had to explain, um, and I, I can remember, you know, vividly my teacher saying, you need to defend your position. Mm-hmm. Defend your position, right? So defending your position requires you to go out and do some, some reading, do some work, uh, gain more knowledge and information. <clears throat> As an, a critical thinking instructor, I would say, Defending your position also includes you understanding the argument from the opposite side. Because if you only understand your argument, which is considered strong sense, 
critical thinking because you're solid on your position, which I think that's where we are today, um, politically, uh, in, in DC and also across our states. People are really adamant and powerful and hard set on their beliefs um, in their own arena and what they're thinking. And people have even gotten to the point where they watch news or they subscribe to feeds and podcasts that say the things that they believe in. Um, I listen to a lot of different things because I want to know what are other people thinking and it helps me formulate a better argument or discussion. And there are valid points that can be brought up. It's just how things are presented sometimes, right? And then there are times when you go, no, yeah, I'm thinking my best way I can, but that's just really ridiculous what they just said. And here's why. So helping our students think that way, Bonnie, that, that makes a lot of sense, right? And also, I want students who may hear this understand, so you're not just going to school every day. I always told my children, you're not just going to school just to get the diploma, and when you go to college, just to get the degree. You should be walking away with, what you call, Bonnie, vital skills? I'm going to take your words now. You should be walking away with vital skills. Life Things that I do every day, people put me in a box because of the PhD and think, this is all Terrell can do. But I do things over here that people without PhDs do. And they go, how can you use your hands? How do you understand I did that? I was like, because it's it's science. I learned this in like elementary and junior high school, right? Doing some electrical work yesterday. Um, and like, you got a doctorate like, and not electricity, right? So, but <laughs> I, I, I will if I get shocked, right? But understanding, you know, how electricity flows. We all remember the little light part of curriculum in school, right? The lights mm -hmm. and the series and all that. And I'm like, I literally sat there and I thought through that. So when I looked at the wiring schematic that was presented by the, the seller of this product, I could understand it. And the person's like, you understand that? I'm like, yeah. Like, this is the neutral and this is the one that's hot. <laughs> so, right? And you understand how it's supposed to flow. It's not really that hard. I learned this again in elementary school. And so we don't think of school because I've had people tell me many times, like, I just got through the tests and got out of it. Mm -hmm. So I feel like you just wasted your time in school, mm -hmm. right? Instead of taking a skill and actually saying, I can apply this real world. But um, I said all that and I cut Michelle off. She's going to respond to something Bonnie said. Well, I was going to say something sort of like what you said, but not that deep. But um, okay. <laughs> we're gonna bring well, back I up. was going to say, as educators, we have to allow our students to be critical thinkers. I think that's really important. Um, you know, so you you both talked about like being able to explore your world is what I would say, right? So going back to the question that you said, well, what did slaves do before they were put on the boat or the right. ship, whatever they were? Yeah. So what did they do before? Like allowing that student to go back and say and learn about that and then come back and share it with the class. Right? There's nothing wrong with that. We've got to provide those opportunities. And as you said, navigate them through that so that they can learn more, right? So I think at times... We're trying to get through the curriculum. We're trying to get through the work that we might not always allow our students to 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 learn about their world, to learn about themselves. And I think we have to provide avenues for that. I'm speaking as an elementary person. Like there are plenty of times we have students that want to learn something, and we worked with them, and then they present it in front of the school about it. Right. So we've got to provide those opportunities for our students to become critical thinkers and think outside of what they're learning in school. Okay, and so um, close to wrapping up here. So a big argument out there, if you say the word equity and inclusion, <laughs> or, if you, or it's not a word, I know it, but I'm going to say it because this is the way I like to say things. If you say the word D-E-N-I, <laughs> <laughs> 
People get upset. They want to come for you. What right? does D-E-N-I mean? Right. Yeah. So you got <laughs> <laughs> diversity, equity, equity, and inclusion. All these names, right? So, but what it really comes down to is simply folks are out there, you know, riled up. They didn't, you know, created talking points politically, socially. They go to school board meetings across the nation, you know, saying, we don't believe in this. We don't believe in that. We don't want our kids to hear this. It's, let's, let's just be real. All that is a figment of someone's imagination because anything talking about equity and inclusion in its purest form and not someone's um, ulterior motive is simply talking about giving everyone their due mm-hmm. in society, right? Mm-hmm. I looked at the Super Bowl as millions and millions of people did on Sunday night. My Cowboys weren't playing, so I didn't look at it really hard. I looked, <laughs> I looked away a no, lot, we're not and I did it. other stuff, and we had some you know, deep conversations with the people you know I was at my house with, but... I looked at the teams playing. I looked at the fans in the stands, the cameras as, as it panned. I looked at the commercials that came out, and it's amazing. So we fuss about lifting up these people at this time, but I don't think anybody complained about cheering for the black quarterback or the white quarterback, right, or the uh, Pacific Islander. You know that was on the field, or the Irish American or Italian American that was on the field. So what I'm saying is, no one cared the makeup, racially or ethnically, of the teams. Mm, they point. simply cheered for their team. So what I'm wondering, ladies, we'll make this our, our our you know final question: How do we get folks to start cheering for the team? The team being America. And ultimately bring it to a more granular point, cheering for Windsor Public Schools as a whole, like wanting all of our kids to succeed. Ooh. (laughs) Dr. Hill, Dr. Hill. I think some of it starts with our own expectations, right? So we talked about this um, at our uh, Windsor Nation number three last weekend, having high expectations for our students. And... And I, and I could go back to, you talked about the expectations of your own mother, right? I had high, my mother, my parents had high expectations for me. My teachers had high expectations for me. And I feel like students work for teachers who have high expectations. That, that to me, that is like a number one factor. And so I think we have to think about all of our students. And like you were talking about, like I had high expectations for that game. My Cowboys weren't playing either, but I had high expectations for San Francisco to pull it out, but they didn't. But anyhow, but if if you if you look at how we believe in our students, right? So expectations is also about a belief and how we believe our students can perform. They will they will rise to the occasion. So we've got to look at ourselves, look deep within ourselves and say, "Hey, listen, Johnny can do this work or or Devin can do this work or Keisha can do this work, right? I'm going to say all these different names can really get this work done. They can, at their own levels, strive for excellence, right? So that's where we, I'm about academic excellence. I'm, I'm from that background. So we can get all of our students to that level. We have to believe we can get them there. 
we have to have those high expectations. And there's more to it, but that's one of my number one. And we have to build relationships with our kids. So those are the things when I was a principal, I talked about building relationships with our students and having high expectations. So those, to me, are, are the two factors that will help move Windsor Public Schools and help us move to the next level. Um, I'm sure Bonnie has some other things to say, but those are the two things that I believe we can do. I love that perspective, especially as a principal and thinking about it on a human level. I'm going to... Um, I'm going to nerd out. I'm going to go, this is, a, this is a Black History Podcast. This is, this so, is a nerd-free zone. So, <laughs> so I'm thinking about uh, your question in terms of a histor- historical answer, which is <clears throat> I think the ultimate form of patriotism, right, is to think about what were the ideals that we were founded on. It doesn't mean that we were living those ideals because we were not. So liberty and justice for all, right? I mean, that's when people think of Mm. American ideals. That's probably one of the first things that comes to mind, right? When it was, when that was, when those words were stated, there wasn't liberty and justice for all, but that has become a creed that is very American. So we could quiet a lot of that noise if we just said, well, we're going to see that through as a collective group Mm -hmm. of people. We are going to see it through and we are going to make sure that we are actually enacting and living by the creed that we were founded on, even if that was not the case in actuality, right? With, with, with the laws and with um, um, slavery and with our founding fathers being slave owners, many of them. But we could make a commitment now to say we are going to have liberty and justice for all. We're gonna, we're gonna make sure that we're living in an inclusive, affirming society because that's what it means to be American. Um, so we're gonna put that expectation on ourselves. There we go. I love right. It. Yeah. And and I think that quiets some of the noise because a lot of the arguments around um, anti is you d d e and i say like you <laughs> right. said it. There's a whole other word, right? All this, you know, quote unquote anti woke. I mean, I'd be they would not like me in Florida. They would not like me in Texas. Oh well, I live in Connecticut. I'm here. I'm here in Windsor. But a lot of that is grounded in this idea of like it's unpatriotic. We're oh we're not going to be teaching students. American history. We're not going to, they're going to feel negative about the country. They're going to feel blame. No, if we're really teaching America and patriotism, then we would be teaching students mm-hmm. to be mm-hmm. active in DENI, right? Because that's what, that's what we were founded on. Um, and that would be, that's how I was thinking of answering, answering that question, right? And it's, um, it's the ultimate form of patriotism. And and I love it, right? So I'll, I'll wrap with this. I, I grew up here in Massachusetts, so New England. Mm-hmm. When I started teaching in Virginia, I started teaching in Newport News Public Schools. Um, lucky me, a reporter followed me from the first day I started teaching, my first year of teaching, being a business major, not a teaching major or education major. Um, and one of the interview, um, you took a picture, and there were questions. So I was in a green turtleneck and sweater um, for St. Patrick's Day. And it and you know, this big article that came out at the end of the year talked about and, you know, Mr. Hill uh, represents, you know, the pride the, the Irish pride that comes from his home state in Massachusetts. You know, so we always celebrated St. Patrick's Day, right? I have no problem celebrating St. Patrick's Day. Now years later I got a DNA test. So I'm four percent Irish. Oh my gosh. So you know, I will tell people in a minute, is Aaron go bruh? So, you know, I'm I'm all about that Irish love, right? Um, it's your whole 4%. Right, my whole 4% Irish. That's right. That's right. I'm getting a discount on Aer Lingus. But I'm just saying, 
people need to understand that you can enjoy everyone. Right. I, my wife and I are yeah. big travelers. Our family always have. And what I love about traveling is you get to meet people um, where they are and engage them where they are. Like, not from an American lens, right? I let that go. And when I'm in a different country, I want to learn, you know, culturally, like, what do you guys do? And I always tell, like, the concierge of the hotel, you know, there's a couple of things you want to find, but then most of us like, where do you guys go eat? Oh, sir, we have a fine restaurant. I didn't ask you what was down the hall. Where do you go eat? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, where do you go to the mall? Where do you really shop? Where's the plaza you shop at? Let me know, right? Because I want to learn about that culture and the tourist hotel is not the culture. Mm-mm. And so I never, ever feel diminished as an African-American man when I go somewhere and see something great that someone from a different culture or race accomplished. Never bothers me. I go, wow, that's cool. Mm-hmm. It, it inspires ideas or it just helps me, you know. And as an educator, I used to bring ideas back you know, to my white children. I, I've been a teacher, the only black teacher in a white district in my career at some point. And I would say, you, what's your background, Italian? Have you ever been to Italy? No. But you you rep in Italy hard, right? But you've never been there. You should try to get there. But let me tell you some of the things. Like, I've been in Italy, and I've, like, walked into apartment buildings that were built in, like, 1480. Because mm. on the cornerstone is the, the date, right? And so... They're like, what? I'm like, so those people are pretty, you know, talented, right? Venice is just a marvel in and of itself. And they're like, what? Right? And you think about Tuscany, which I haven't been to yet, but I'm going to get there, right? I just look at pictures of Tuscany, and I'm like, oh, that is just beautiful, right? The vineyards just roll along the hills. And just how people have adapted to, you know, their environment, and they've, they've done their own thing, the artwork, the foods. Why is that so hard? For people to appreciate. So when I get into my discussion with people over D, E, and I, I'm like, all I want you to do is appreciate what I've done, what people like me have done, and I'm going to continue to appreciate what you've done and people like you have done. That's it. We're, I can't hold you accountable for slavery. You know, I'm 55, you 37. No, you didn't own slaves. I know. Because people like to say that when I used to do my equity diversity work as a consultant. You know, I didn't own slaves. You, whew, that's a good thing because I'd be nervous. Like, where is that plantation? Right. <laughs> so it's understanding that you had contributions and people like you had contributions. And I had contributions and people like me had contributions. And just respecting that and loving it. Just like everyone in the world, particularly our country, watching the Super Bowl. Mm. I don't think anybody was saying, I really wish there were no black guys on the field. Or I really wish there were no white guys on the field. Mm -hmm. They didn't care who was on the field as long as their team won. And so what I like to say to our listeners is here in Windsor Public Schools, I want a winning team. And I know that to get a winning team, you need people of different talents and skill sets. So turn it to our discussion. That team means we're going to have people of different races Mm -hmm. and ethnicities uh, sexual identities and we're going to come together and use our collective skills and we're going to win and how we're doing that as educators is with our curriculum and the curriculum is delivered by educators who understand the true purpose of that curriculum so if you were wondering what was going on in Windsor Public Schools you don't have to wonder any longer because now you know
www.sound.com. Sound.